Good morning. How is everyone? Good. I'm glad to see your faces this morning. It's awesome to see everybody here. Just wanted to remind you, um, this morning I will be um, leaving some cards. We'll, we'll leave them in the back for prayer this week. And um, if you need to fill out a prayer request, you can fill it out after church. And you can come bring it to me, and I will make sure they're prayed over. We have been praying for a while now over these requests, and now we're starting to see answers come in. So we're excited about that. So they'll be back there on that table by the sound booth, and you can grab one there. So let's just all stand, and we will welcome Jesus in this morning, and then we'll start to worship him. So Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being here, Lord. Thank you for this morning that you've given us. It's a beautiful day. Lord, thank you for lifting the smoke, and I pray, Jesus, that you will take that, that fire and, and snuff it out, Lord, but instead replace it with your holy fire here. Lord, we want your Holy Spirit to come into this place today, Jesus, to settle us down from our busy weeks, from our crazy morning, so we can focus on you, Lord. You are a welcome guest here. Without you, this building means nothing. We mean nothing, unless you're in the middle of it, Jesus. So would you please feel welcome here and know that your kids love you, and we want to sing and give you the gifts of our hearts today. So Jesus, here we go. We're going to worship you now, Lord. I pray that you're pleased, and I pray that our hearts meet yours in this place, Jesus. We love you. Jesus' people said, amen. You got it now? All right. Got it here now. <laughs> here we go. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's done all it's stealing And you're desperate for some healing Let me tell you about my Jesus He takes away when there ain't no way He rises up from an empty Ain't no sin that he can't save Let me tell you about my Jesus 
Well, this morning, we're going to we're gonna introduce a new song to you again. How's that feel? Get some new stuff going on in the summertime. God writes some good stuff through his people. And I'm excited about this one. It talks about the battle belongs to Jesus. Anybody in a battle right now? I am. I'm in the middle one. I just did some stomping in the back room before we walked out. It was good stuff because Jesus is in the middle of it. He's got it. But this is wonderful for us to remember that we're not alone, even if it feels like we are, right? There are times when you do feel like you are all by yourself in the desert, but he is still there. He is always with us. So this is a good one for us to remember that. So we're going to teach it to you this morning, and then we'll do it again next week so we remember it. The battle belongs to him.
Nothing can be against you, right?
that loved you, that were heartbroken at what they thought was losing you, and then others that you looked into their face and there was hatred and bitterness because they didn't know who you were. Lord, there's still people like that today. Sometimes you let your kids go through things. It's always to get them closer to you. So, Lord, as we continue to worship you, Jesus, we just want you to know we love you. We're thankful for what you've done. Thank you for laying yourself down for us, Lord.
for loving us back, Lord. We're here for you today. There's no other reason just to be here, to be at your feet, just to listen to your spirit and what you have to say to us. Through your word, through Pastor Tim, Lord, teach us more about you. Make us more like you. We just want to surrender that part of us. It's so hard fighting you, Lord. It's so much easier just to let you take it. So start with me, Jesus. Take all the icky stuff that I just don't want to deal with, Lord. I surrender it to you. It's yours. Anyone that's in this room, Jesus, that wants you to take those burdens, those hurts, those pains, all of those things that you're so willing to handle, take them. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us the way that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be seated. Everybody take a deep breath. I just took a deep breath. Inhale him a little bit more. Well, this week is the last week for Zuni donations. So if you have anything else you want to bring, please bring him on in. This is the last week for us to accept those. And then they're getting ready to go out to Zuni and um, to bless the people there. So we're, we thank you for the donations that you've given. There's been so many so far. We're really excited about that. And God's going to use it in a big way to show how much he loves people. So that's awesome. We're excited about that. This Wednesday night is prayer night. Yes, we are so excited about it. It's at 6.30 to 7.30. It has been amazing to watch God move. He is doing some really wonderful things. If you haven't been, can I just encourage you to come? It is such a blessing to be there. And we never know what he's going to do the first week that I, I did it and, and led it and took over that, that week. I didn't know if anybody was going to come. It was 627, and nobody was here but me. And so I said, okay, Lord, if nobody comes, I'm staying until 730. And then at 629, the doors opened, and 10 people walked in. How awesome is that? God has been so good and so faithful, and you will be blessed. Yes, exactly. He's just doing so much. So we want to encourage you to be there. You will be encouraged. You don't have to be um, intimidated to pray out loud. You don't have to do that. You can just sit there and soak them up, and um, you will be blessed by it. So I just want to encourage you to get there. If your schedule goes nuts at 530, there's a reason. Fight it. Get there, okay? And then on Friday night is our family movie night. It's our second one. The first one went really well. We had 33 people at that one, so we want more this time. We're, we're showing the movie Courageous. We will have concessions open at 6.30, and you can get them through the movie. And then after the movie's over, we will have a little trivia on the movie and give out some prizes. It's really fun. So we had a great time last time. We want to encourage you to be there. And then, let's see, I need ushers. Do I have four ushers that can come forward or someone that is willing to come and take our offering for Jesus today. Yay, thank you, Eric. Wonderful. I think we have two over there, too. Oh, Courageous is the movie. Thank you. Sorry if I didn't say that. 
Do we have one more person? Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Lord Jesus, we thank you again for the gifts that you give us, Father. They go unnoticed sometimes, Lord, but we are grateful for them. So I ask you to take the gifts that are given to you today, Lord, and use it to further your kingdom. Father, multiply it and make it stretch to the ends of the earth, because I know you can do that just with fishes and loaves. So, Lord, we just ask you to bless this offering, bless this time and the hearts that are giving, Jesus. And we just love you, Father. Thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name. One more thing. We have a very big milestone today for one of our beautiful members. And it is his 80th birthday. Dick Ronk, it is his birthday today. He's back in the back over there. <laughs> That's awesome. So after the service is over and you've turned in your worksheet, I'm just joking, there is no worksheet. But after the service is over, there will be cake in celebration of Dick's birthday today. So just wanted to make sure you guys knew that. this. One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. If you have your Bible this morning, you might want to open it to Job chapter 35. And you're all thinking, oh great, Job. Huh. Where are you coming from today, Pastor? Job. Now listen, for those of you who are visiting today or who haven't been here in a while, I'm just the fill-in guy. I'm just the guy that's filling in because we're between pastors right now. And uh, so I hope I won't discourage you so much that you don't come back next week. I do. This morning, I want to mention to you that often when you hear a pastor preach, 
He is preaching to you from what has been going on in his own spirit. What he has been learning. We were at our daughter's house up in Parker several weeks ago. And uh, we were celebrating our oldest grandson's birthday. We spent the night there and the next morning after the boys had gone to school, Jane and our daughter Jamie and I were sitting around the breakfast table visiting when our oldest daughter, Stacy, called in. And so we put her on speakerphone so that we, it could just be the four original of us and we could just have this wonderful time of sharing together. And then in the middle of the laughter, as we were just having this great time together, one of the girls mentioned this little phrase, crying in the closet. Crying in the closet. Well, as a concerned father, I wanted to know what does that mean? What are you talking about? So I said, wait, wait, wait. What is this crying in the closet you're talking about? And both girls agreed that it was something that they had done. And so I'm the nosy type. And I said, well, tell me all about that. And Stacy, who was living in D.C. at the time, she spoke for the pair. And she said, well, Dad, it's when the kids have been a mess and the dinner burned and their homework isn't finished and the car won't start and the washing machine is running over. It's that kind of a day. You go to the closet and you close the door so no one will see you and you cry. And then she added, and you better bring chocolate. We've all had one of those days, haven't we? Some of you would remember the words from the musical Les Mis, the words to a tune called I Dreamed a Dream. There was a time when the world was a song, and there was a time when it all went wrong. I dreamed a dream in time gone by when hope was high and life worth living. I dreamed that love would never die. I dreamed that God would be forgiving. But the tigers come at night with their voices soft as thunder as they tear your hope apart, as they turn your dream to shame. I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living, so different now from what it seemed. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. That's basically what the psalmist is saying in chapter 88. And it's what comes to mind when you read Job 35. And you get down there to verse 10. There is this little thought nestled there in that verse that says this. But no one says, where is God my maker who gives songs in the night? Where is God my maker? Who gives songs in the night? We're all familiar with the book of Job. I could tell when I mentioned to you this morning that my text was from Job. You all kind of went, oh, great, Job. It, 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 is so, it is a story that is so graphically spelled out in 42 chapters 
consisting of an indictment of God and an argument with three friends who try to talk Job off the cliff as he continues to contend for the fact that he is blameless and he is righteous before God and God has no right to allow him to go through the things he's experiencing. Job is crying in the closet as his world has collapsed and the dream that he dreamed has faded. And his fortune is gone, and his herds are gone, and his flocks are gone, and his children are gone, and his health is gone. And his wife is saying to him, at the depth of his discouragement, she is saying, why don't you just curse God and die? And then when you think that the story is winding down, a new character is introduced, one that we rarely talk about. His name is Elihu. Interesting name. And he's a younger guy. We're all familiar with the three guys that came to try and encourage Job. They were older. They were my age. Older than me, perhaps. They were the older guys. And we, we remember them, but we don't remember Elihu, who was younger. And in my opinion, he was wiser than those who had been giving Job grief. And he basically tells Job that God is concerned about man and that when God seems far away or unresponsive, it's probably because they forgot to look to the hills from whence cometh their strength. That's King James language right there for those of you who didn't understand. They do not ask. Elihu says, they do not ask, where is God my maker who gives songs in the night? But don't you? Don't you occasionally in your life come up against those times when you ask, where is God, my maker, who gives songs in the night? Where is the one who could rescue me? I do. It was three years ago this week I performed my mother's funeral service. Two days later, my Jane had a mini-stroke that led to a diagnosis of mild dementia. And two days after that, our youngest daughter called to tell us that her husband had left her for another woman, leaving her behind with two young teenage boys. And all of those were gut punches. And I went to the closet to cry. Where is God, my maker, who gives songs in the night? I've only been preaching here from time to time, and I, I don't know most of you, some of you at all, but most of you not very well. But I do know something about human nature, and I know something about life. And I know that all of us face those seasons in life when the bottom drops out. And the older we get, the harder the fall. And more often, it seems, it comes. Life gets so messy and so disappointing and so frightening. And it not only happens in individuals' lives, it happens in churches too, doesn't it? Those moments when as a congregation we say, where is God my maker who gives songs in the night? 
we as a congregation have gone through pastoral change now twice in one year. And our emotions become raw. And we become easily upset because we're not necessarily asking where is God my maker who gives songs in the night. These are the moments when our faith is put to the test. Does it matter now? Does it make any difference now? When we're crying in the closet, when we're the one crying out, where are you, God? Sometimes in my private little office, out in the garage, I'm sitting beside Job. And though I may not know your name, I've seen some of you sitting there with me and with Job. How many times have we asked, where is God my maker? See, like Job, we protest our situation and we profess our innocence. And because, God, we are trying to be righteous people and live the way you've asked us to live, everything should go well for us. Why doesn't God answer my prayer? That might be the thorniest question preachers ever have to try to deal with. So Elihu comes along. And his answer to Job was that Job's motive was wrong. And he says basically that God isn't answering your prayer, Job, because you're only asking Him to take away your suffering. You're not interested in His presence. You're trying to get Him to rescue you rather than seeking the presence of God. Where is God, my Maker? So he's basically saying, Elihu is telling Job, if prayer becomes a bargaining tool by which we can ask and get rewards for our righteousness, we're off base in our praying. And he sees Job doing this through the entire book, right up until chapter 42. Job is professing his righteousness and that he's blameless and that because of that, he should be given a pass on suffering. My, I'm ashamed to admit to you that I try endlessly to manipulate God to do my bidding. But that's when Elihu declares the highest motive for prayer in this incredibly poetic verse. But no one says, where is God my maker who gives songs in the night? And he's pointing out that most of our prayers, both public and private, fail the test of seeking first The presence of God. You see, we kneel or we sit or we stand and we begin to pray, but basically we start with, God, I need this and this and this and this. God, will you do this and this and this and this? Instead of saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Instead of seeking His presence. 
And it is in the presence of God that we have the ability then to sing songs in the night. And the nighttime here, as mentioned in this passage, is a symbol of suffering or confusion or sin. And some of us here this morning would probably be able to say that we lost sleep last night due to some issue that we're facing in life. And we're sitting here right now thinking, Preacher, to sing some song of joy at such a time in my life is ludicrous. It's impossible. Don't even talk like that, Preacher. Because the best we can do is whistle by the cemetery with the hope of pumping up our courage sometimes. So we put on a happy face. And we get through these past few weeks as a congregation. But we know that now there are things we're going to have to face and deal with. And Elihu is right again as he encourages Job. That only in the presence of God can we sing those songs in the night. Though the pain may not subside. The problem may not go away. But your courage is increased. So it was after the loss of his health and the silence of God. Job had lost his song. But he didn't lose his faith. It was back in chapter 18, verse 15, when he said, Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Asking, where is God, my maker, assumes that God has to respond on our terms. But God doesn't have to prove anything to me. And yet I find my faith bolstered by the many individuals throughout his word who profess their faith in words I can barely comprehend sometimes. Do you remember the Old Testament book of Habakkuk? In Habakkuk, we read this paragraph. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there be no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. And then we follow Job to the final chapter. And we find this man who had no song in the night, who was wondering where God might be in all of this. And there we hear him say, chapter 42, verse 3, I know that you can do all things. This is Job. I know that you can do all things. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Or this in verse 5, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Or verse 9, And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Or verse 12, The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. And back when he was in the middle of the turmoil, when he was most disturbed and most depressed when he was crying in the closet he said in chapter 19 verse 25 I know that my redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth see sometimes when there's no song in your night or mine I have to grab hold of something that I've known in the past some promise of God 
some testimony of another person, someone like one of you. And that's what Job was doing. But when I need to do that, I go to places like Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Or Psalm 23.4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. My newest one is Exodus 14, 14. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just be still. Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Or Isaiah 41, 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Or Isaiah 41, 13. Do not fear, I will help you. Or that wonderful Matthew chapter 11, beginning verse 28. Come to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Or John 16, 33. I have told you these things that you might have peace. In the world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Or 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Or Philippians 4, 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You can't think about songs in the night without thinking about Paul and Silas. Acts chapter 16. They were crying in the closet. In verse 16 it says that they were on their way to a place of prayer. They were going to a prayer meeting. Something like happens here on Wednesday night at 6.30. They were going to a prayer meeting. And on their way they met a slave girl who was a fortune teller. You remember the story. They prayed for her and she was delivered from whatever spirit it was that was driving her. And they were accused by her owner who made money off of what she did. And they were jailed because of what they had done. And in verse 22, it says that they were stripped and beaten. They were placed in an inner cell and their feet were put in stocks. I've I, I got to tell you, I, I have to believe that on some level they had to be asking there, where is God my maker who gives songs in the night? But the scripture says that about midnight, you'd have to be my age to even be thinking of the song I'm thinking of. G-L-O-R-I-A, just about midnight. Gloria. Maybe it should just be glory. Just about midnight, they found their song. They were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a violent earthquake. Perfect timing. And the doors swung open, and the prisoners were freed. And Paul told the jailer, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Have you ever noticed how often 
when Jesus begins a parable, he begins with a specific word. Look back. Often when Jesus begins to tell a story, he begins with the word suppose. Have you noticed that before? That might indicate that it's a story that has merit, but it may not have happened. But here's a story that illustrates something that could have happened. It was my cousin that reminded me of this story over a year ago, probably. So let me start as Jesus would. Suppose. Suppose that a couple travel to Europe to celebrate their 25th wedding anniversary. And while they were there, they discovered a special antique store. And it specialized in pottery, especially fine, fine china teacups. And they spotted an exceptional one on the shelf, and they asked if they could see it. They said to the storekeeper, we've never seen a cup as beautiful, as intricate, as fragile as that one. And suppose that as the lady handed it to them, the teacup spoke. And the teacup said, I have not always been a teacup. I was just a shapeless lump of red clay at one time. When the master reached down into the container and pulled me out. And he rolled and pounded and prodded me again and again, working me violently with his hands. And I yelled out to him, Don't do that. I, I don't like that. Leave me alone. But he only smiled and gently said, Not yet. And then he placed me on this wheel that was spinning. And I was spun round and Round and stop it, I screamed. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be sick. I'm, I'm getting so dizzy. But the master only nodded and said, not yet. He spun me and molded me and prodded me until I was bent into a shape that would suit his desires. And then he stuck me in this kiln. I had never felt such heat. I, I yelled and knocked and pounded on the door. Help, get me out of here. I, I, I could see him through the opening. And I could read his lips as he shook his head from side to side and said, Not yet. And when I thought I couldn't bear the heat for another moment, the door opened and, and, and he carefully lifted me out and he set me up on a shelf to cool Oh. That felt so good. This is much better, I thought. And after I cooled, though, he picked me up and he started brushing some kind of paint all over me, a, a glaze, and the fumes were horrible. And I thought, again, I'm, I, would, I would gag. Please stop. Stop it. And he only shook his head and said, Not yet. And then before I knew what was happening, he stuck me back in the oven. Only this time it seemed like it was twice as hot. And I knew I would suffocate in there. I begged and I pleaded and I, and I screamed and I cried. I was convinced that I would never make it out. I was ready to give up when the door opened. And he took me out and placed me on the shelf again. I cooled. 
And then I waited. And I waited. What was he going to do to me next? An hour or two later, he came back and he handed me a mirror. And he said, look at yourself. And I stared at the mirror. I felt confused. That's not me. I, I, I said it couldn't be me. I, I was beautiful. Then quietly he spoke. And he said, I want you to remember. I know it hurt you when I rolled and pounded and manipulated you. But had I let you alone, you'd have dried into a useless glob in the bottom of that bucket. And I know it made you dizzy to spin around on that wheel, but if I had stopped, you would have crumbled. And I know that the kiln was disagreeable and it hurt, but you would have cracked if I had pulled you out sooner. And I know that those fumes were suffocating when I brushed that all over you, but if I hadn't done that, you'd have had no color in your life. If I hadn't put you back into the kiln, you wouldn't have hardened and you'd never survive life's hardships. Now you're a finished product. What you thought was intended to destroy you, I meant for your good. Now you are what I had in mind when I began molding you. Where is God my maker? Can I assure you this morning that he is still in the business of making things out of people like you or me and out of churches like this one. God is the master potter. We've heard that before. We are his clay. He wants to mold us and make us into beautiful vessels. He knows what he's doing. He will expose us to just enough pressure of just the right kind so that we can be made into a masterpiece to fulfill His blessing and His perfect will for you, through you. Don't give up on Him because He isn't given up on you. Don't give up on Him because He isn't giving up on this place. When you're crying in the closet, when you're wondering, where is God my Master? Here's what I want you to remember. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross for my salvation and yours. And when he did, he did not say, I will make your life perfect. What he said was, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. So what do we do with this? Is this just a, an emotional story that might tug on the heartstrings a little bit? Or is there something more here in what I'm trying to convey that I can't adequately convey? Is it possible that somewhere in this room this morning, God's Holy Spirit is tapping some of us on the shoulder and saying, that's you. I'm trying to work with you. I know you've gone through some difficult things, 
but I'm trying to work with you. I know your heart is hurting this morning, but I'm trying to reach out to you. I know that you feel discouraged today and upset, but I'm trying to reach out to you. I know that there are things going on in your life that you don't want to have to face. There are in mine. But he's reaching out to you. Do you know that in the church of the Nazarene, which we are a part of, our tradition across the years has always been to use benches like these. We call them altars as places for people to pray. That's always been a rich part of our tradition. And people across the decades had grown accustomed to just coming and kneeling at a place like that to kneel at the feet of Jesus and to bring Him their struggles and their heartaches or their sin and say, where is God my Maker who gives songs in the night? I'm disappointed that in recent years across the churches, we've almost let these things become dust-covered and use them rarely. But I want to ask you today, if God's Spirit is stirring within you about that issue, that thing you're facing, that uncomfortable decision you have to make, that situation, would you be willing to give Him a chance this morning to respond to you, maybe at a place like one of these old benches. Would you stand with me, please? I don't know who I'm talking to today. But if you're one of those that God's Spirit has been speaking to, would you join me up here? And let's pray together because I'm one of them. And we could just pray together. Someone else. Someone else. God's stirring in your spirit. And you're wondering, where is God my maker? These altars aren't magic places. They're just a good place to pray. They're just a good place to pray. And if there's no room there, use one of these front rows of chairs and just kneel there. think it somehow does God's heart good when he sees his children kneeling in his presence maybe you'd want to just kneel there where you are just turn around and kneel there at that chair that's okay if the burden is heavy today and the uncertainty seems so
Almighty God, we are your children. We bow in your presence today because we seek your presence. We bow before you today because you are God and we are not. We bow before you today, Father, because you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our honor. You are worthy of any kind of glory that we could assign to you. So, Father, we do that this morning. Our hearts are heavy for these who kneel here as well as my own. Because, Lord, we need you. A lot of us are facing situations that are unsettling or decisions that we don't want to have to make. We're looking for answers that we haven't found yet. But we believe that you are in the business of answering prayer. That you know, Father, how to come alongside a person who's kneeling here at these altars or here at these front seats. Somebody who's kneeling across this congregation or someone who's standing here and they're thinking about that situation in their life that is so heavy for them. And in their spirit right now, they're crying out to you. Because, Father, we do get to those places in life where we do not know what else to do. <laughs> Lord, sometimes we wait until we think you're our only hope. When in reality, you are our only hope all along. So, Father, we bow in your presence today and we confess to you our desire to control things and to manipulate things and to make things happen the way that we want them to happen. But, Father, this morning, as we sang earlier, we just surrender that to you, that brokenness. We surrender that disappointment. We surrender that unsettledness. We surrender that anger. We surrender all of those things that cause us to begin to run and not wait upon You. Father, I pray for those who kneel here in Your presence today. I don't know their need, but You do. I may not know their name, but You do. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for answers to their situation. We pray for release from bondage. We pray for healing today in those who are suffering. We pray for spiritual renewal today. We pray for a great awakening within our own midst. We pray for your spirit to hover upon us today and give us new life and new hope, new joy new eyes, new vision. Unplug our ears, Father, so that we can hear your voice and use us. Father, there's an army of people in this building right now. And how desperately we want to be used by you. And so, Father, this morning, right now, we just simply say we report for duty. How can we serve you? How can we serve you as you continue to walk with us through these days of transition in our church. Father, we pray that you would restore the songs in the night, in our heart, in our life. 
in our ministry, in our future, in our children, in our grandchildren, in our hope. Father, when we ask you now, where is God my maker? That is our invitation for you to express your presence here in ways that only you might know and understand, only ways that, in ways that only you could do. Father, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name, and we love you in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you for those who came and knelt around these who prayed here today. I appreciate that more than you know. That's an important thing to happen. Maybe there are some who are still praying and you feel comfortable just to go and pray with them today. If so, I invite you to do that. We're family here, or at least we should be. We're just a group of folks who are trying to find our way, sometimes through thorny situations and difficult days. But God, my maker, will give songs in the night. The music that you're listening to right now is played by Jerry Nelson, who was my, he was in charge of instrumental music at Denver First Church for 30 years. I have those songs on my phone, and for the last three nights, I've just put it on repeat when I've gone to bed at night, and these songs play all night long, and I listen. God, I need your song in the night. And he gives it. He grants it. Now, Father, I ask that you would be with us as we go. May you bless and keep. May you make your face to shine upon us and grant us peace. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. Now you may be dismissed for there's cake in the foyer so you may go God bless you thank you so much God bless you